Well, I don't know about you, but I won't be personally happy until the average time of game is shorter than your average Godcast show length. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. I'm telling you, it's, it's like two hours, 20 minutes, two hours, an extra half an hour in there. That was some of our off-season show length episodes there. So we're getting pretty close. In fact, people might be soon asking when we're going to do something about the pace of our show. Let's go. Come on. Come on. On to the next thought. Let's go. No time to waste. What are your observations? You've been there. You've seen games. Has to be something brewing in that head of yours. See, we don't have to worry about the pace of the podcast because people can just listen to it at 1.25 speed or one and a half. Are there any psychopaths who listen to it on two? Oh, it would be fantastic. But it kind of pales in comparison to how good 0.5 is. Oh. And now if you really want to screw with people, then I will talk like this and <laughs> really mess up their thought. It's going to be pretty weird on YouTube. <laughs> That's, isn't that the point? Isn't that what we're going for? The weirder, the better. I honestly don't know that I would notice... Especially game two, Sunday against Texas, which was two hours, 49 minutes. I think just pitch to pitch, I I think I only notice it because I'm paying attention to it. I'm looking for it. I think it'll be more noticeable in the regular season. And honestly, it's Terry Francona called this from early on. In the spring, he said it's going to be a bigger adjustment for hitters. And I think it has been. We saw from the first pitch of spring training play with Manny Machado that they have to be ready and locked in. And they can't step out. They can't do their normal routine. Stephen Kwan can't hold his hand up. Josh Naylor can't hold his hand up. You know, to do that calling time without really calling time as they move move the bat around or his nailer pats his chest a few times. What is that? To, are people doing that because they saw players when they were growing up do that and then the players that they saw as they were growing up, they did that. I mean, I would do that in Little League. Was I really calling for time? And was it really necessary that I dug that back hole in that box? No, it was not necessary <laughs> whatsoever because I was standing in the right-handed batter's box where 95% of the other hitters were, so there was already a divot where I was standing. Did I need to sit there and dig it out? No, but I did it anyway. Did it anyway. But I think there are a lot of habits that have been built up over the years that are just going to have to be reformed or eliminated. And that's, I think, what's more interesting to watch or, or to try to keep track of. There was an inning on Sunday where I was I would watch the catcher throw the ball back to the pitcher. Plesak was on the mound. It was like a it was a super long at bat against Corey Seager that ended up in a home run. But every pitch I would watch 
the instant Plesak caught the ball from Cam Gallagher and was on the dirt, the clock's supposed to start. And, you know, the operators are working out the kinks too. The umpires are working out the kinks too. But there were, it was inconsistent. And, and I, Terry Francona even said, like, the first game, you know, it wasn't, some pitches maybe had a couple extra seconds, some pitches maybe didn't have the amount of time they should have had. And there were some pitches during that at bat with Seeger and Plesak that I felt like they didn't start the clock for like five or six seconds too late. So I don't know. I'm curious to see what this looks like when it's a well-oiled machine and everybody has it down pat, but there's a lot to work through. I wouldn't notice it so much if not for some of the early videos where the clock was there in the corner counting down. That gave me unbelievable anxiety. Like I, I was on the edge of my seat and not in a good way. I was rethinking the whole experiment to seeing the clock tick down. And then once it was a normal setting without the clock looming right there in the corner, it faded to the background. I didn't even pay attention that much. But initially, I'm okay with there being some of these kinks to iron out because that, that's, that's how you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. You're only going to learn, and this is only going to become something that's implemented if you call it on a three, the third strike to end a game that ends in a tie with the bases loaded. That's the only way that this works out. And so, of course, baseball's laughed at, but like this is a meaningless exhibition game when you're trying to figure out what the rules are. If there's ever a time where this makes sense that everyone now pays attention to see that this is going to be a thing, fine. Laugh about it now, but... If the average time of game is making this more watchable and more fun at the end of the day, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with some silly headlines in a spring training game. Yeah, it's a good thing spring training is six weeks long and you play 30 Cactus League games because I think you're going to need them. And it feels like we're thinking up new scenarios every day. It just dawned on me after the first game... If a pitcher's in a jam, first base is open, and you were planning to intentionally walk a hitter, why make that known? Why not just let 20 seconds elapse four consecutive times, then you just got 80 seconds to catch your breath, and the guy can take his base? (laughs) Things like that. Delay delay of game to give yourself a little bit extra room on the punt, right? Right. Right. So they the remember the first thing they did to quote unquote fix pace of play was to eliminate intentional walks and now they might be back and take even longer. Um, so that was something that popped into my mind. I, I mentioned it to Tito and he said, "Yeah, like he's like I don't want to give away all of the strategy behind all of this, but you could definitely see that." And then we saw it Sunday. James Karinchek asked for a new baseball. And he did it pretty early in the clock, and they didn't reset the clock, and he didn't get the pitch off in time. And I believe, while overhearing the operator, and there's two or three people from the league in every press box right now overseeing all this, I believe the rule is, based on what they were saying, if he asks for a new baseball 
before you get to that eight second mark where the hitter's supposed to be engaged, then they can reset the clock. But if you ask for a new baseball, once it gets to that eight second mark, then it counts as one of his disengagements. So I think that was operator umpire error on that one. But again, there's a lot to sort through, a lot to remember. And it's a lot for the fans too. I'm sure people are watching and they're like, wait, what just happened? Because you also, it's not like there's, they don't like stop the game and announce to everybody, all right, Manny Machado just got a strike called on him because he wasn't engaged with the pitcher with eight seconds left. Like always knew he had engagement problems. <laughs> it's 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 really tricky. And there's just a lot to figure out. I think the umpires are under pressure right now too to make sure they have everything straightened out. But it's February. There's time. Yeah, and I I have to imagine they're going to go out of their way to put an emphasis on certain things that as this plays out, you learn where maybe you could be a bit more lax and where you really need to be strict about this. I mean, there's a, there has to be some sense of, of common sense within this too, where a pitcher, if a pitcher is asking for a new pitch that close to the end of, of the clock, probably going to guess that he's just trying to buy himself a few extra seconds. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing it as soon as you get it back, you look at it, you say, uh-uh, you throw it away as they typically do, then why aren't you resetting the clock? <laughs> Otherwise, you're getting up there. Do you even have time to set <laughs> and then throw? Or are you going to call a, a quick pitch on a guy because he has to, to hurry up and get the throw off? But I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with there being some of this silliness now. I'm not saying that, this, that it's perfect. I don't know. How can we know? We haven't seen this play out yet. I'm going to give it a chance to play out and to give it a to give it that chance. I need to to let some of this stupidity out now. That's fine. And and I'm cool with that. I'm just going to reserve the right to have some sort of judgment later on this and see what they they need to adjust. But I don't think I mean Major League Baseball has to has to be sitting there too taking notes and thinking, you know, what what minor adjustments can we make? That, is go- that isn't going to impact the, the spirit of the rule that we're trying to create here or the spirit of trying to speed up the game. But there are some quality of life adjustments here that need to be made for the players. It's weird because Sunday was like, what was it, 13-4 to final? And a lot of hits for Texas. As I said, like some long at-bats. It was two hours and 49 minutes, and... It felt like a long game, but I think that's just because there was a lot of action and a lot of scoring by one team. And a lot of action in a spring training game it doesn't always mean a lot of excitement. So I'm trying to think. Like The first game was two hours, 23 minutes. It didn't feel that way. It, it got off to a slow start. I think we were on pace for about three hours through three innings. And then I think it, the rest, the last four or five innings just flew. So... They shaved an average of 25 minutes off of minor league games last season. I don't know if it'll be equal to that in the major leagues, but man, I mean, you're going to get some like, like travel day noon on a Wednesday, two to one games that are like an hour 54. Like, aren't we going to see that? Cause you'll just get a pitcher's duel and the guys will just be in a rhythm and it'll fly. 
I, I think some of that will just get worked out as far as the adjustments for pitchers and hitters. These guys, they adjust. That's what they do. Give them some time. And as younger players come up and this, this is all they've known, that adjustment will even be smoother. What I am um, really curious about, and I think anybody that has a catcher that doesn't excel at throwing anybody out has to be feeling a major anxiety about, is seeing the, the reckless way that some of these teams have run the bases in the first few games. I mean, we saw that right off the, the rip in, in game one. You have teams running like crazy, and whether it's smart or not, you, you want to you see in spring training how this is going to impact it. You're not thinking like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, what's, what, is the, what does the computer say about my percentage chance to make it? Right now, you are running like crazy. But if you have a catcher, you know, and I'm sitting there watching Zanino, we don't have a... Yeah, I haven't watched Zanino for years. Like I had seen some of the, the past Cleveland catchers and had a, an idea of how they were going to handle the running game. But the thing is, you don't know. You have no idea how catchers are going to adjust to that. If anybody is going to internally feel the panic and rush their throws, and that's going to lead to tons of stolen bases and teams just running wild. We don't know. We don't know. But it's, it's, it has made the first few games here very interesting to follow in ways that I would not have been paying attention otherwise. Yeah, the bases aren't that big, Josh Naylor, but it's, <laughs> I, f- I don't know, have, have we seen more like singles that would have been eaten up by the shift? I don't know that teams shift as often in February as they do from April to October, but I'm sure we will see more just old school base hits that we didn't see and um, even if it's not stolen bases, it's just more aggressive base running. And again, it's like it's the things that Cleveland excelled at last year. I mean, I thought the the first inning was kind of 2022 Guardians to a T. Stephen Kwan reaches, he goes first to third, and they manufacture runs. So I think you're going to see more of that. I was talking to Chris Valeka over the weekend and even he's like, I don't know what our identity is going to be. I don't know if we can just recreate who we were in 2022. So that's the idea. We always want to keep those principles in mind, but it's a new lineup. Zanino and Bell add different elements, and you know you don't know exactly what certain players are going to do in year two. You don't know exactly what Oscar Gonzalez is going to be. So even he's not sure what this looks like, but... They'll probably have a clearer idea in five weeks when they're ready to open their season. It's funny you put it that way because there are so many uncertainties about how they'll play, what the game will look like. But as far as watching this team, there are so very few uncertainties of who is going to be playing where, at least at the outset of the season. This is so abnormal compared to previous springs and you want to be in a position where you don't have to have a lot of roster battles and starting lineup spots and starting rotation spots up for grabs because everyone's bad and you're just picking from what's in there cleveland enters this with a couple of spots on the bench open how they juggle that is going to be fascinating and i want to get into that with you coming up but there's no intrigue from that standpoint I mean, yes, there is just from seeing how the organization puts it together, but 
I don't know, are we crafting entire shows about whether or not Gabriel Arias or Tyler Freeman fit on the bench? We're going to try today, but I'm going to tell you, <laughs> we're not going to be doing that the entire spring training. And uh, in some ways, that's refreshing. Of course, it's fun to also talk about the hypotheticals of a uh, starting lineup spot up for grabs. But this spring, I, yeah, I don't know how they're going to play at all times. We're going to find that out. But I, <laughs> I feel like I can pencil in, outside of some injuries, who's going to be in there on opening day. You sure about that? Oh, really? What are you going to tell me? Well, I, I okay. Let's let's set it up like this. We I think we know the foundation. We probably know the opening day starting lineup. That much is clear. You're gonna have two catchers, Mike Zanino, probably Cam Gallagher. You're gonna have an infield slash DH of mm-hmm. Bell, Naylor, Jimenez, Rosario, Ramirez. You're going to have an outfield, Quan Straw, Gonzalez. That's three, five, two. That's ten players, right? We need three more bench players. Who are they? Do you think this is clear cut? Do you think it's three out of four candidates, five candidates, three candidates? Two infielders, one outfielder, two outfielders, one infielder. What are you doing? I think, well, to steal a line from you, it depends. Don't you the, do it. There are little elements here that are intertwined, interconnected. Mm. Uh, the, I think like the, the Gabriel Arias outfield experiment or Tyler Freeman, if he's playing some outfield, those, those sorts of things open up what you could do with that bench spot. Also, the backup catcher spot, you're just saying, ah, oh, it's Cam Gallagher's spot. Maybe, but maybe David Fry keeps hitting home runs and he finds his way onto the, the roster some way. Yeah, but I don't think they're going to hand him no catching duties right off the bat. They they he's still kind of no. raw back there. No, I I don't think so either. But these are all these these are the things they have to consider. But I well let me let me amend that. Like okay. If you want to throw his name in there as a candidate for a bench spot, I'm willing to listen to that. I just I've think I've been saying since like December that Bo Naylor's probably ticketed for Columbus and yeah. I keep saying that and I keep saying that and people maybe are finally listening but like they've been they, they've been saying that like it's this is not a surprise and no. Gallagher has always been like a slight favorite favorite over his former teammate Mabry's Valoria I think Valoria going to the WBC cool for him for sure, and they're not going to penalize him for it, but it's just a fact that missing any time in camp is a detriment. So, yeah, and Gallagher probably had a slight head, slight leg up anyway. Um, so Gallagher would be my guess. Fry, I, he's really interesting. I just don't know the type of role that makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't think that backup spot. You're in, you're. A, anticipating that they're one bad thing away from that being your starting catcher, at least for in the short term. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think, um, I don't think he's quite there or the organization quite has that level of trust in him, but let's put that aside for a second. We know they're going to need a backup catcher. So put that off to the side. We'll figure that out at some point. As far as the rest of the bench goes, we know that what they would want and the sorts of roles those players would have to, to play 
But I'm not, I, I, can, I don't think you can put anybody in that definitively. I don't think there's anybody that has hands down earned a spot there. Do you think that? No, I think Gabriel Arias is as close as you can get to that. Agreed. But <laughs> if he makes it, are you going to carry Freeman too? Because they're already redundant. Yeah, right. And even a utility infielder on this team, as we keep saying over and over and over, is not like you don't need a really good, interesting player to fill that role. Like a Mike Avila's type would make more sense on this team than a Gabriel Arias type who could be an everyday, like good shortstop. We don't, we don't know. You're not going to find out in that role when you have Jimenez, Rosario and Ramirez playing 155 games apiece. So yeah, Arias, I think stands a decent chance to make the roster, but if he does, I don't know that you're going to see him and Freeman or else. Yeah. At least one of them is going to be rotting away on the bench. Well, I, I'm with you. I think of anybody, he is the the closest to an odds-on favorite that there could be. They're they're going to give him every opportunity to make this team. And and I thought that we we talked about it last week when they said he's going to play some outfield. My first thought was they're trying like hell to find any way for this guy to be able to help you. I mean, I get it. It, there's not much for him to prove at AAA, and him being a AAA is only taking at-bats away from other younger players that also need to be playing in the middle infield. There's that so, too, yeah. So I, that's, I think it does make the most sense for him to make the team, but I'm not there yet. And, and I think some other parts of this, again, are connected. One being, you want one dedicated outfield spot. You like having guys that can play there, but I think they want they definitely want one backup outfielder. And Initially, you would say, well, that's Will Brennan. He was starting in the playoffs. Why would it not be Will Brennan? But aha, you did point out a theory where Will Brennan isn't going to be on the opening day roster. And I made the joke about Roman Quinn, and you didn't dismiss it. So please (laughs) tell me how Roman Quinn is on this roster and Will Brennan is not. So... Part of this, too, depends on how many 40-man roster spots they want to clear. Because it's full, and there are candidates that you could part with. But you better be sure that they're people you want to part with, right? I can think of a pitcher or two, maybe a position player. But remember, you do that. Let's say let's say you DFA three people and add three people to the 40 then all of a sudden there aren't people that you want to DFA if you need to DFA someone. And if someone goes on the injured list and you need to call someone up, who's not on the 40 and you can't like you just, they dealt with this last year where when your 40 man is full because they have 73 middle infield prospects on the 40 man roster, you don't have much flexibility. So it's just something to keep in mind through this exercise, but they like Quinn. He's a little redundant with Miles Straw's skill set. He's not going to hit, although he crushed a home run in the spring opener. And even Tito was like, yeah, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> but uh, he's got a lot of speed. He's a really good defender. And with the rule changes, you know, you could have – it's it's the same conversation as the infield. Quan Straw, Gonzalez, right? You could sit Straw twice a week. I know there are people – yelling at me saying you could sit 
straw seven times a week. I get it. They want to give him a chance to prove last year was not who he really is. And he's a gold glover on defense. He's going to play, so get used to it. Quan's going to play seven days a week. They'd love for Gonzalez to prove that he is the real deal. And he's going to play, you know, you don't, he's not a platoon guy. So there's not a ton of outfield at bats. You could sneak Will Brennan in there two to three times a week. But you also have to think, are you giving Arias any at-bats out there? Are you letting Arias play first base at all? Are you going to let Arias play first base a little bit, move Naylor to right field at all? I mean, there's just like a lot of different scenarios to consider to get one person off your bench some at-bats. So, like, you could get Brendan some at-bats, or you could let Brendan start the season in AAA, let him play every day, and have Roman Quinn, a veteran who you don't need him to get in an offensive rhythm, but you can use his legs. And with the bigger bases, it's, he's I talked to him about it one of the first days of camp. He's excited about that. Used it in the minor leagues last year. He said it's to the base stealer's advantage. And he makes sense as a bench piece. You could have Brennan and Quinn off your bench. And use Quinn as a defensive replacement and a pinch runner. And let Brennan play a couple times a week. It depends what you think makes the most sense for Brennan's development. Do you want him? You know, you always hear Terry Francona say April in Cleveland. It's rough on young hitters, whatever. And fine. So do you want him playing in Columbus? I don't think it's much warmer down there. But do you want him playing in Columbus for a month? And then coming up at some point when it makes sense? Or do you want him playing a couple times a week off the bench? Could go either way. And I think that sort of relates to, it depends, how do you want to use that roster spot? Do you want the extra outfielder? Do you want the extra infielder? And where does Richie Palacios fit in? Does he make sense because he can do a little of both? Are you ever going to actually need him at second base? Probably not. So who can handle playing two to three times a week? Palacios, Brennan, neither, Freeman. What would you do? I think how I think how much you believe in straw plays a, a huge factor here. If there's any chance that by June he hasn't hit well enough that he's not the the primary starting center fielder anymore, is having Will Brennan prepared to play in that spot? Does that mean that he sat the bench for eighty five percent of the first two months of the season, or? Did he play every day enough to be in a rhythm where if you need him to go take pretty much every day center field at-bats for you, at least starting, that he's prepared to do that? You maintain more depth if he is sent down to AAA and you're able to hold on to a guy like Quinn, if you like him. I don't think you have to be twisting yourself into a pretzel to make sure you get Roman Quinn on the roster. But if it makes sense, okay at least explore it. These are the conversations they're having anyway. And, you know, how much you're, you believe in, in Arias' ability to play first base or if you think he can handle you know, a situation where, let's say, Naylor comes out of the game as a pinch runner, here comes Quinn, then he exits the game for the final inning and you need somebody to go play first base, it's not going to be Josh Bell because he's DHing. So now you need to go put somebody at first base. Is Are you comfortable with Arias being that guy? Do you think he's the... 
a guy that you want in there in the ninth inning to do that? If the answer is yes, then that does open up the door for another pinch runner type. And, and of course, Josh Bell, if he's DHing, you could do the same thing as well there. Uh, but how you handle the rest of the bench is is connected here as well. And I And I think what they do with Brennan is fascinating because clearly they like him and he is hit at every level and he's playing in the playoffs and getting at bats and you're just going to let him waste away. I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical of that, but they're also not going to run away from Miles straw, nor do I think that they should. I mean, last year was so bad, but it's not like you're saying, well, I think he's better and you have no track record to point to. I could just go one year back on the calendar and point to a Miles straw that was worthy of an extension. So what do you do there with him? A lot of it's going to be dictated by how he plays, but we're in February now, not in June, figuring this out. And Gonzalez falls into that too. You know, there's a lot of volatility. Even coaches have admitted that he's super interesting, but no one's really sure what to expect because he's going to have to make adjustments that he didn't quite have to make last season because he wasn't around long enough to do. So who knows? I mean, there could be opportunity for Brennan. I, I think the one thing this roster is missing where it would be just slam dunk, no brainer, there would be at bats for someone is the Ryan Rayburn type, the Brandon Geyer, where you could take away some of Naylor's at-bats against lefties. Plus, you know, you could sit straw or quad. Like, like there, there's... Not quad, but you, you could find enough at-bats to make that worthwhile. I don't know, you know, what's the lineup? I think it's pretty obvious against righties. In some order, you'd have Quan, Rosario, Ramirez, Bell, Gonzalez, Naylor, Jimenez, Zanino, Straw. How much does that change against a lefty? You know, are you going to give Naylor a chance to prove he can hit lefties? Semen is going to play against every lefty. If you're going to sit Straw and Gonzalez once or twice a week, do you do that against a lefty or a righty? Do you get? I mean, they're both right-handed hitters. Is that where you get Brennan in a day of at bats? I don't know. Can David Fry mash against <laughs> lefties? He could be Naylor's platoon partner. He plays first base. That's not happening, though, right off the bat here. That is not happening to begin the season. As much as fans want to scream about it, Josh Naylor is going to get an opportunity to prove that he's better than he has been against left-handers. I agree. That's, that's you know They didn't go out and sign a Robbie Grossman here because they're not determining that based on what they know right now. They want more data to back up what internally they think of Josh Naylor. And they're not prepared to say this is just our platoon first baseman against righties. They're just not. And so that's why they will stick with in-house options to maybe fill that role. But I think they probably have a pretty good idea that maybe that's a role that could help them. But they're not going to they're going to let that play out dictated on the field. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that's where Arias will get some at-bats, too. But it's just, it's tough, because, like, all their starters are guys who play every day. And it's it's foreign, because this has been a team that 
patches its lineup together with like five platoons every year. But that's not the case anymore. <sighs> and those jerks. And they have the nerve to be pretty good, too. <laughs> not only are they, they taking the everyday at-bats, but they're good at it. Well, that's that's Come on. How are you going to get at-bats for your teammates when you're stealing them because you don't want to take their bat out of the lineup? Like Jimenez. I mean, in an ideal scenario, wouldn't you... <laughs> Jimenez out? Quan out? That doesn't make any sense. No. But wouldn't you... Should Rosario see fewer right-handers? Yeah. In practice, yes. Absolutely. There's two conversations here. One, what should they do? And two, what are they going to do? Yeah. Ahmed Rosario is not getting taken out of the lineup. It's not going to happen. So we should probably deal with reality here. Josh Naylor is not getting taken out of the lineup early against most left-handed pitchers. So let's let's talk about the roster based on what we know they're actually going to do, not even what we think they should do. Yeah, so I think you've got three bench spots, and I think the pool of candidates is Freeman, Arias, Palacios, Quinn, Brennan, with like Fry maybe lurking on the outside, but probably not. Does that sound right? Forgetting yeah. anyone? Um, I don't think so. All right, now let's do middle infield. <laughs> Martinez, Tana, Rocchio, Brito. Oh. It's here's insane. The, here's the thing that really struck me, and I texted you. How many, how many other springs, fourth, fifth inning, I'm checking out. This, this is done. Who, mm-hmm. you're, you're watching guys with no names on the back of their uniforms. Hell, the coaches don't even know who they are. They're just random minor leaguers they grabbed from camp to say, hey, we need some bodies over here. You know, there's always that pitcher that gets called on to come into the second inning. And hell, it pretty much happened <laughs> in the first game. Where they so, okay, well, we had someone ready to go in the third. They're not ready to go yet. We need one person to just randomly bridge that gap. Just bail us out <laughs> that's exactly with limited warning. That's, that's exactly it. And as a minor leaguer, you're thinking, like, we're going to tell them no? <laughs> I mean, that is the most record scratch freeze frame. You're probably wondering how I got onto this mound right here <laughs> with the bases loaded in the second inning and the crowd of 3,000 mm-hmm. people still somewhat alert. <laughs> you thought maybe it's the seventh or eighth you might be in this position, not the second inning. My point is, this spring, they make these changes, and I'm listening to Hammy go through the changes, and they're bringing people off the bench that you could make a case are better than the guy they just replaced. George Valera (laughs) comes off the bench and starts playing right field, and you're thinking, well, hell, this guy could be in right field in July. And, you know, when you're seeing Rocchio and Martinez, and, you know, Martinez doing what he did today, I mean, it's, it's fun. That's what spring is often about. You're, you're dreaming of the future, but this is not like a. This is not a, a fantasy island sort of reality here. This is a lot of players that are ready to be helping you as soon as this year. It really stresses what we've talked about through the entire offseason. The just how deep and talented this farm system is, but also how close these guys are to helping you. That that's really what blows me away. Because we've we've been here before, you know. I remember watching Lindor come up, and you're still thinking, like, I don't know when this kid's going to be ready to to come up here and and have a an impact in the major leagues. Everybody they bring, even Rokio, it's like, 
Mm-hmm. I, I could paint a scenario, probably not likely, but I could paint a scenario where Brian Rocchio is up this year. Could happen. That, that to me is wild, how much depth and how much they can display this spring. I mean, at various times in these games, you've got Micah Preeze at first base, who had a really nice season. And if you examine his career, he's flown under the radar because he's old for his levels. But that's only because he was drafted, got injured, had the pandemic. And so he's had a limited track record. He just got started late. He's had really good offensive years and he's like he's got speed and power. Like they're he's interesting to them. They've had Brito at second base, who they got for Nolan Jones, who Fangraphs just did he was on their top one hundred, right? I think the Zips one, but yeah. Yeah. Uh Tana Short, who I know Keith Law was really high on him a year ago, put him in his top one hundred. Angel Martinez a third who he's like one of the talks of camp, just in terms of, I think the organization is super high on him. Everyone's saying, might not be on a top 100 right now. Give it a year. He definitely will be. Bo Naylor behind the plate. Noel Valera in the outfield. I mean, it's it's like, you either have a top 100 prospect or someone who had really gaudy numbers last season at every position on the field. And this is yeah. an organization known for developing pitching. Not position players. <laughs> what happened? So, yeah, and, Zach and everybody's one article, one article, and then all of a sudden, the all these position player prospects show up. Everybody's at like all of those guys will be at double A AA or triple A this year. Yeah. So I think that's that's when we talk about like I mean we mentioned this in the fall, but like Detroit firing their cleaning out their front office Kansas City reorganizing their structure I mean those franchises just look at Cleveland and say why are we not doing that and for this team to have such a young major league roster and to have all this talent bubbling up to the surface in the minors it's a great spot the quote unquote good problem to have is trying to piece together the roster like we just were. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to get your prediction on that in a minute. I, I do enjoy the everybody seeing Joan Kenzie Noel for the first time reaction. Because <laughs> I, I certainly had it at, at Guardians Fest. I mean, I, I can read what it says on the bio. I've heard stories, but there's nothing quite like just seeing him standing next to Brian Rokio. And you're like, hey, Brian Rokio. Hey, Joan Kent, what the hell? <laughs> it's, it's massive. And you certainly see where all that power comes from. This is a good spring to have this be the case, too, with a lot of guys that are ready to ready or ready soon to make the jump because your major league camp is going to be thinning out because of the World Baseball Classic. Didn't that happen? The last one. Didn't the organization talk about just the ability that they would certainly like to have everybody just in camp and preparing for the season. But if you're going to look for a silver lining here, you get a longer look at a lot of players that otherwise you wouldn't in a situation like this. And it's valuable, valuable from a evaluation standpoint. I have to imagine that it's valuable for the younger players too, to just be around the major league coaching staff every day for longer than they would be normally. And even for, 
mean, I, I was thinking about this World Baseball Classic. I think he, maybe it was Santana that talked about how it maybe it helped him achieve more of an inner stability and, and feeling not, not like a belonging because he was already a proven major leaguer at that point. But I think we saw him come out a little bit more of his shell after his, his World Baseball Classic. And I'm wondering, for so many younger players that have very limited or no major league experience, going to play in something like this, which is not not like a major league baseball playoff atmosphere, but it's an entirely different thing that kind of ramps up the nerves in a similar way. How does this impact their development? Does this help out a lot of these younger players that have never tasted an environment quite like this before and being around different players than they've ever been around in their entire lives? What do they pick up from just being in that sort of atmosphere? You're also going up against the best some really good opposition so that can't hurt you know I, I i think i don't know the answer to your questions because i think it's probably different for everybody everyone's gonna have different experiences cal quantrill basically will be playing in his backyard in arizona for team canada richie palacios has to hop on a 15-hour flight to taiwan Okay, so it's and he's with Team Netherlands. I don't know how far they're going to go. I mean, it might that might be a lot. They might not be alive in the competition as long as that flight is. So it's different for everybody. I think like Quantrill and Bo Naylor will be teammates for Canada. So Quantrill was like, hey, we're going to be a Canada's battery. We both spend our off-season in Arizona. Why don't we just partner all off-season? You can catch my bullpens. You can learn my pitch mix. You can dictate to me what you think would make sense in certain situations, and we could pretend that we're in real game scenarios. And those two have a close bond. And whenever Naylor's on the roster, and you know he has already laid the foundation to have a good partnership with one of the team's starting pitchers. So there are benefits from it. You can, I mean, it's it's like the cliche Terry Francona always goes to. It's, we're going to try to take anything and turn it into a positive. So yeah, I mean, they're going to be terrified that their players are going to get injured just like every team is. But I think there are some positive outcomes that can come out of it. I got a positive for you. That's a way for you to save $20 on your tickets. What? Tell me Courtesy more. Courtesy of SeatGeek and our partnership with SeatGeek. If you've never purchased from there before, get to the app, download the app, use our code SELBY, S-E-L-B-Y. You get $20 off your first purchase. Already, you think I'm going to take advantage of that? Yes, because my wife is already asking to go to because this shows you how old we're all getting. All of our bands that we grew up listening to are now back for their 20, 25-year-old reunion tours, and you're like, oh, my God, what the hell happened? But my wife's you know, wanting to go to shows this summer. It's like, oh, Such yellow as. card? Mm-hmm. Yellow card? Yeah. Yeah, we're all old, so let's fire up SeatGeek, and it, it actually worked. And then uh, use the code SELBY and try to save, uh, save some money there. I, I hope you guys do that as well. So take advantage of our partnership with SeatGeek. Thanks to SeatGeek for uh, partnering with the show. 
and use the code SELBY. What concert are you going to this summer? If you say Hayden Grove... <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. Uh, no, I was. I mentioned the SeatGeek partnership, and the first words out of my wife's mouth were, Hey, my birthday's coming up. You can get us Ed Sheeran tickets. Perfect. <laughs> How does this benefit me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Okay, give me the roster. The entire thing, top to bottom, 1 to 26. No, I'm kidding. Let's actually give a prediction on this bench. What do you think it looks like? Yeah, with the disclaimer that things change over the course of spring training, guys get hurt, guys just don't quite look as sharp as you hope. And also... One decision always influences the next. So if player X just isn't cutting it and they have to go with player Y instead, that might prevent them from turning to player Z for some reason. So I'll say Arius is on the roster. I think I talked myself into Brennan and Quinn both making it. Whoa! And then Freeman starts at AAA. And I mean... Freeman has nothing left to prove in the minors, uh, especially with his skill set. Like he's going to hit for average, decent on base percentage, and make a ton of contact against minor league pitching. We're gonna learn nothing from it, but I just I don't know where he's gonna play. So I think he's just gotta either wait for an injury this season or be patient and then be part of the competition to replace Rosario next year. If Palacios wasn't going to the WBC, I might might lean him over Brennan. But I, he's a tough one. I don't know where he plays. I mean, he's he has not played center field in the majors. That also wouldn't be necessary if you have Quinn. I mean, you could throw Quan in center in a pinch. I know they don't want to do that regularly, at least not yet, but... I don't know. I'll I'll go Brennan and Quinn. I, say I don't it every feel time. I saw Lonnie Chisenhall, Jason Kipnis. I'm with you. I think we were like a step away from Melky Cabrera going back to center field. <laughs> like, he would have had Oscar, to catch an Uber. Oscar Gonzalez can't stand out there if need be for just a game or two. Like when you already have a tremendous defensive center fielder, do you you need another one? You need another one. If he's not playing, he's your late game replacement, right? I am struggling to find any scenario. You know, I've I've seen like I was looking at fan graphs just to make sure I didn't forget any names, and they have Freeman and Arias both on the team. I just don't see a scenario where Freeman and Arias can be on the well, let me rephrase that. I can see a scenario. I don't see a scenario that makes sense where they're both on the roster. And it with Freeman, God, we're we're uh at, at least a year removed from you saying you thought he was going to be the second baseman of the future and that this is going to be the guy you've been for years that. and years and years. It, well, exactly. And some of it is for Freeman. I know he committed to bulking up and getting a little bit stronger. Um, and I, you know, he probably needs he did. to consider a lot of protein shakes. <laughs> I, that didn't work for me, oddly enough. I think he needs it. I think he needs to be able to hit for at least a, a tiny bit of power. 
getting those output, I mean, you already have Miles Straw. How are you going to have another spot in the lineup where you, you could have a goose egg up there in, in home runs? That just, but home I don't runs, care how many is doubles it home you runs have. Or is, it, is it gap power? Can he have, well, like if yeah. he has 30 doubles? Yes, that's nice. You still need at least a little bit of respectability and power. Yeah. And you already have, I mean, you have Quan too, who's not hitting for a ton of power. Just that's tough wait. to take, an, take another zero from somebody in the lineup. No matter how good you are. And the problem with that is Freeman could be a hell of a hitter, but he's never going to have the the value on the trade market that an, another player with more power would have. He just, it's tough to to bet on that because he has to be, he has to be among the best at what he does for that to be, to for that to be making sense. Does that, does he that might make be. sense? He might be. You're right. He very well might be. But there's no way to know. No. Which is why I think they wouldn't have minded flipping him for Sean Murphy, but Oakland was not feeling that. Straight up? What were they doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just don't see it. But the problem that I keep coming back to is I don't know who gets that last spot. Could it be Quinn? Yes, it, it could be Quinn. They already are going to need to make one spot on the roster for a catcher more than likely. They'd be clearing another spot. I know these things work themselves out, and sometimes you just get a guy on the 60-day DL what, or IL, whatever. And then I'm also can thinking I, of... Can I interrupt you, though? Okay. They don't always work themselves out, okay? It hasn't always worked itself out. For this team. It didn't work itself out last year. You had Arias and Freeman and Brennan and Nolan Jones wasting away on the bench or in AAA as the season was going on, right? Like, it hasn't worked itself out. Uh, Like, if they would have made some trades and cleared out this glut, then yeah, it would have worked worked itself out. But it hasn't. And they have such an abundance of depth right now. And... Look, they constantly will just say it's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. But, and I get that. You'd rather have, I mean, this is going to sound stupid. You'd rather have too much talent than not enough talent. But we don't know exactly how much talent it is because the talent can't play. So it's, this is not going to stop. Ahmed Rosario can walk at the end of the season, and then you're going to have a competition with Jimenez locking down one spot and five players vying for the other. And maybe, Someone will establish themselves at least for a little bit. And then you're going to wonder, okay, well, where does Rokio play? Because he just crushed AAA pitching all year. And now I, uh, what is he supposed to do? We've got Arias at short, Jimenez at second, and Freeman's our utility infielder. And right when Rokio is just kind of caught in purgatory, you're going to have Angel Martinez right there. And maybe Jose Tena rebounds after last. Like it's, it's never ending. Juan Brito is like the next Tyler Freeman. So like, what, what do you... What are you doing with all these players? It doesn't always work itself out. Like that sounds nice and sometimes it does, but especially during the course of a major league season like and with yeah. pitchers you get injuries whatever. But not it hasn't done that for them over the last Oh, year. but it might. It might. It might this year compared to every other year where it has not. And you'll be thankful you have all that depth. Only you could take something so positive and make it into this giant <laughs> negative. And you're yelling. You're yelling. Who are you yelling at? You're yelling at the team for having too much talent. <laughs> I might be contorting this a little bit, but 
I'm just saying, I, I, you're never going to learn what these players have to offer, and it's it's not. I don't want to say it's like some organizational failure, but it's a weird spot where like everybody in your organization is 24 years old. Everyone's the same age and everyone is ready for the majors at the same time. And good luck figuring out who can play and who can't. But instead of just flipping Nolan Jones for Juan Brito, like you're going to have to consolidate somehow. I mean, in fairness, do you think they have not tried? I think they've tried, but I think knowing the reputation they have as a front office being stubborn and not meeting in the middle, which is, I think, in general, a good stance to have. It's worked out pretty well for them. But they have to figure out what they need, and they've got to figure out, map out this timeline, and I'm still... I still have questions about what the starting rotation looks like this year. I think that's their biggest concern. And next year, where you're in Bieber limbo, and how can you guarantee the rotation remains World Series caliber over the next few years? And okay. the way to do that is to consolidate some of your position player prospects. Let me paint this as a, a, a positive, though. They were not in a position at the last trade deadline last year. In hindsight, we know that they were, but they were not in a position to start pushing all the chips in. We no. we, we wanted them to to a certain degree, eh. but but they were they were not. But you you're not trading for someone who's signed for a year, right? But my my point is, you should be ready to do that this year. And sure. you have a much better, and by the time we get to the trade deadline, hopefully you have a much better grasp on other areas of the roster and what they truly need. And if what they need is, despite it going against what they normally like to do, because they have the depth that they do, if they want, if, if a rental is exactly what they need, they should not feel any hesitation to make that move because they have other prospects that they like. And they should be able to find the right marriage to, to pull off a trade like that. So they have the ammunition. It's, it's a case where everything is lined up for them to be in a position where they should be ready to compete. And they have the ammunition to go get whatever they want and whatever they need. Now, could have been the catcher. Could have been the catcher this very offseason. As we also talk about, too, you can't force another team to believe in the prospects that you do and maybe there was just a miscalculation on the the prospects that they wanted and you were willing to give up and maybe Cleveland at the time was still having reservations or concerns about giving up a pitching prospect considering their top one is someone that is injury prone at least to this point there's validity to that for sure I mean, Oakland wanted their starting pitching. They didn't want to move it. And I get that. Again, the rotation is... Uh, I need to see more from Savali and Plesak before I can really buy into it. And even then, as we've said, like someone's going to have to talk me out of Corbin Burns in a Cleveland uniform. But it's not like Tyler Freeman and Gabriel Arias are going to gain trade value between now and July. I don't see a scenario where that's possible. 
And how am I supposed to believe that the same issue isn't going to happen with Rokio next year? And then on and on and on. Yeah, I mean, that's that's possible. You could also have Ahmed Rosario be out for three weeks. And you could have one of these guys step in and play really well. And maybe that would inflate their trade value a little bit. You know, if Arias has a great three-week stretch filling in for somebody, I'm not gonna, that's not going to make a team go from we don't want him at all to, oh, my God, we'll give you everything you want for that guy. But it might tilt the scales in your favor. I think there are scenarios here where it can work out. There's just a lot of could-bes and might-bes and hypotheticals yeah. that we can't map out. The question I always ask is, is this player more valuable to my team or to another team? And if the answer is my team, then I'm not looking to trade them. Unless I'm knock, they knock my socks off. If the answer is another team, then it's probably someone I should trade. And Gabriel Arias and Tyler Freeman wasting away on a major league bench or a triple-A bench tells me that they're more valuable to another team, given what we think they might be able to do in the majors, but they haven't had the chance to prove it yet. And that doesn't mean, again, I, I don't want to say, like, just go right now, take the best offer. That's, But you're going to have to make a try. I mean, I've been saying this for a year and a half. You're going to have to do it at some point. And it might get uncomfortable. You might have to do it when David Fry makes the team and then somehow outplays Mike Zanino and he's your starting catcher. And then Bo Naylor's traded because you, you already got your guy. Okay, maybe I'm taking that a bit too far. Has anyone ever been so surprised that their socks actually flew off of their their feet? Knocked my socks off. I'm, I'm going to have to go look that up when this show is over to see why that is a saying. Do you think when, like, it was Mark Shapiro sitting with his feet on a desk and Omar Minaya is like, fine, I'll throw in Sizemore too. <laughs> and Shapiro like fell off his chair and his socks flew in the air. <laughs> Smacked an intern in the face. Ugh, sweaty sock. Yes, click accept. <laughs> I don't know. We'll be back later this week. I can promise you that. For Zach Meisel, that's him. For myself, TJ Zuppi. We'll see you then. Later. Later.